Final seconds of the game. A chance to score and the chance has gone begging. If your business's commerce platform keeps missing the target on golden opportunities, get the MVP you deserve. Get Shopify. <laughs> Shopify is the commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. Whether you're a garage entrepreneur or IPO ready, Shopify is the only tool that you need to start, run, and grow your business without the struggle. Shopify puts you in control of every sales channel. So whether you're selling signed football boots from Shopify's in-person POS system or you're vending vintage shirts on Shopify's all-in-one e-commerce platform, you are covered. And once you've reached your audience, Shopify has the internet's best converting checkout to help you turn them from browsers to buyers. What I love about Shopify is how, no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US. And Shopify is truly a global force, powering Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across over 170 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash ranks, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com forward slash ranks to take your business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash ranks. Looking for a fun way to win 25 times your money this football and basketball season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com/play100 and use code play100. That's code play100 at prizepicks.com/play100 for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. Hello, this is international football commentator Derek Ray, and you're listening to the Ranks FC podcast. Rank Squad and welcome to Ranks FC. It's your favourite football podcast back for another week and back looking at all things deadline day as we career towards the end of the transfer window in Europe. My name is Jack Collins and I'll be your host today and I'm joined by the one and only transfer guru, busiest man alive these days. Especially this week, Mr. Dean Jones. How you doing, mate? Yeah, I'm probably not the busiest man alive, but today's been a pretty, pretty mad one. Forgive me, sport. Um, I think I just answered about 67 questions today uh, in a Q and A I just did. So, um, yeah, brain's a bit frazzled. Going everything from Southampton, Sulimana over to like Jao Felix, uh, up to Amrabat, 
um, back down to like uh, who a lead's going to sign. So I've been all over the place in my head. But I guess it's good preparation for this episode because we are going to be discussing the big storylines heading towards the transfer deadline. Um, be quite vague with it. It's like it's not these deals aren't literally for deadline day because I can't predict the future and we're like three days out from Friday. So between now and Friday, like these are storylines that are ongoing and are big and some may even go beyond the deadline. So uh, there's going to be some good discussion points coming up. But uh, yeah, it's going to be busy, mate, but it's all fine. We're all be yes. okay. I mean, this is the the wild element of deadline day that it takes place, obviously, after the season has begun. And we know there's been calls before that, you know, transfer should end before the season begins and just allow everyone to sort of have their squad and, and start the season. And that's what you got till January. But I don't think any of those calls are ever going to be heeded. So this is the drama of yeah. the football. Also, you want time like... to react to injuries and stuff. I don't, it needs to go into August. It's just a bit not great when your best player gets signed by somebody else two weeks into a season. No, it's not. It's not ideal. Not ideal. Well, before we get into that, I think we should touch on the season so far and stand for our first things we love of the season. And I'm excited about about hearing what's going on here. Well, mate, actually, yeah, the first thing that I'm going to do is the thing I love is that for all the deals that are being done, there's one deal that hasn't been done and doesn't look like it is going to get done. And I'm delighted about it. This is quite risky of me to go here, but I'm getting close to celebrating that Palinia is not going to be leaving Fulham. He's still a Fulham player. And after witnessing a sensational performance from him at Arsenal at the weekend, I'm just buzzing, really. I mean, as I say, like today's episode is all about deadline day expectations. And yeah, at the moment, this is a deal I'm not expecting. I can't quite believe that that's the case. Listen, in Palinia, Fulham have got the best central midfielder in the Premier League. I'm not even joking. I'm not exaggerating when I say this. Right now, in this moment, I honestly believe that he is actually the best player as a defensive midfielder in this division. If you were to I pick think maybe, one uh, to I play think today. Maybe the most effective is maybe how I would phrase it. I think Fine. That's, a, that's a fair point. Fine. I'm going all tabloid. You know me. Um, I've got no problem with, with putting up this argument because... I've watched him so many times, obviously, in person. And you watch constantly all of the players that are perceived to be better than him. And they're just not. They're just not. Um, this summer, we've seen Man United, Liverpool, Arsenal, Chelsea, West Ham, Man City all go into the market for good defensive midfield players. And none of them have taken a chance on Palinia. And I'm pretty staggered by that. Now... Look, Fulham have obviously tried to price him out of the market and say when Liverpool or West Ham came knocking, they were they were led to believe it would take 80 to £90 million pounds to get him and they haven't been back. I don't think that amount of money is that silly. Um, people are happy to spend it on Caicedo. They say, yeah, £115 million, but he's only he's so young. He's got so much potential to live up to. Well, I think you could flip that and say, but what if he doesn't? Palinia already is. Palinia is like a box fresh, ready-made DM to go in, kick people, kick balls and break up play. Like in a way that barely anyone else can do, mate. The way he tears around that park, you've seen it too. It's absolutely extraordinary. And yeah, I, th- I just personally think that this was a fail-proof signing for somebody. Um, and watching against Arsenal, um, 
and the caliber of players that they had in their midfield just like this is this is just an amazing performance from him he's literally keeping Fulham in this game and in the end actually even scored a goal that that earned them a point so here he is Palinia hiding in plain sight from all the big boys if we get another full season out of him I will be so happy if I'm left with egg on my face by Friday and he's holding up a Liverpool shirt and he's just uh, completed the side. Well, at least I've previewed it on our deadline show, and you all know how good he is. So there you go. I've, I've covered. <laughs> I've covered both bases. Yeah, I mean, I think that what we've seen, and I would nail it as he's the most effective. I, I think that Fulham, the difference when Fulham have Pelini and when they don't, is so obvious and stark. And that's, I think, the easiest way to look at look at it. Sometimes, you know, that the effect he has on the team, the effect on the players around him, and I thought that. You know, in the game against Arsenal at the weekend, not only did he score the equaliser, which was obviously incredibly good scenes in the away end, but actually, you know, the way that he he dominated the midfield battle, the way that I didn't think Erdegaard was able to get fully into the game. And you were looking at it and going, there's an £105 million defensive midfielder on this park. And I'm not 100% sure right now it's Declan Rice. And that's not a, it's not a dig at Rice. I thought he'd done fine. I think he's done really well, actually, in his first couple of games against Arsenal. But the fact that Polina has been able to come in here, I don't know if there are many signings at that kind of price, you know, 20 million odd, that have been so effective from the moment that they hit the ground. And I I agree. I think that Fulham have obviously priced everyone else out of the market, and that's fine because, you know, we always talk about the fact what are players worth to clubs. And Polina could well be the difference between Fulham staying up and being relegated. That, That is as simple as that at times. And... How much is that worth? Well, relegation can be worth up to 100 million. So there you go. There's your, there's your price tag for a player mm. because that's the kind of effect that he has. And yeah, we're very blessed to see him in a black and white shirt, I think, right now. Um, I want to take us away from the Premier League, though, and I want to take us to Spain, where Atleti on Monday night completed an away 7-0 rout of Raya Vallecano. Now, you might remember that on the La Liga preview podcast, talked about the fact that I was worried about Rayo having lost a couple of key players in the middle of the park, Santi Comesaña, etc. And having lost Graola to Bournemouth, I was really concerned that the some of the parts, as they say, which had been more under Graola, were going to go away. We're not going to be able to, to stick around. Now, they actually started the season really well, got two wins. and But against Atleti, they were torn apart. And part of that was that Rayo simply weren't very good. And part of it was that Atleti looked absolutely irresistible. And I think what we've seen in these first three games is not perfection until this point from Atleti. They won 3-1 against Granada, turned on the style sort of in the second half of that game. They drew 0-0 in a pretty dull game against Betis where neither side had loads of chances but they probably if anyone was going to win it it felt like it was going to be Betis but you know the Villamarina is not an easy way to, place to go and now they've come into this game against Rio and finally it felt like okay Atleti have arrived now last year in the back end of last season they were the second best side in La Liga um, they think they really probably should have taken that second spot off Real Madrid they didn't, but the fact that they weren't in a title race was not due to the fact that they weren't in form. It was due to the fact that the first half of the season, they really, really struggled. I think that Simeone has another side here that are going to be competing for the title. And I think what we've seen from Barcelona in the first couple of games where everything's obviously not quite right yet. They're looking at signings, Raconcello, fine. All lots of things to happen. But right now it feels like Barcelona 
are a little bit out just in terms of the balance of, of this side and in terms of, of creating things. Yes, they were able to, to score four at the weekend when Villarreal came out and opened at them. But on the ball, Villarreal are maybe the most exciting side to watch in the league. And off the ball, they might be the worst. So I'm not surprised that Barcelona <laughs> were able to side through this Villarreal side. That is the hallmark of a Setien team. It was the same when he was at Real Betis. We won a lot of games 4-3. Um, and, and I think that that's part of it. But I'm not 100% convinced by Barcelona so far. I think that whilst Real Madrid have been good and whilst Jude Bellingham has obviously been an absolute revelation, they're still very, very light in attacking areas. And that injury to Vinicius, I think, is going to be very interesting to see how they develop. But I'm looking at this Atleti side and the depth in forward areas, the fact that they were able to bring Morata, Correa off the bench to replace Depay and Griezmann, both of them got on the score sheet. The fact that Pablo Barrios has been moved into this kind of pivot role, wearing the kind of number five, if you will, and being able to sit at the base there. And he's been absolutely sensational. And Simeone has come out and, and praised him on numerous counts. Rodrigo de Paul looks like he's playing the football of his life once again. There was a couple of absolutely ridiculous passes in this game to set up Nahua Molina for one goal, to set up Griezmann for the opener. And suddenly, Saul's back and playing like he's never gone away. One of his touches to set up a Morata goal in the second half was pure pure like Saul of three years ago sublime just the one touch no look and off Morata went behind the defense and I just think that I'm looking at the depth in this side now I'm looking at the quality that seems to be going on on show and there is absolutely no reason that Atleti can't be in this title race and I'm kind of loving watching them which you know sometimes you watch an Atleti side in the Champions League and that's most people's exposure as opposed to Atleti and they play in a very abrasive style, which people like to go, oh, they're, you know, they're just kicking people, they're wasting time. And they do do that in, in big games. But actually, when they're on song, they are absolutely incredible to watch. And I think a three-way title race would be a very, very good thing for La Liga this year. And right oh, now, yeah. I think, despite the fact that they're second and Real Madrid have nine points, I think Atleti have been the side that have impressed me most over the opening three games. And I wasn't really expecting to say that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, just as um, a little subplot to that game as well, I was I was uh, on Twitter and I'd seen uh, earlier on in the week or so, Phil uh, Kitramalides, who's a, a TV presenter on, on La Liga, um, saying how he had queued 12 hours for two Rio season tickets. He said, horrific, disgraceful experience. These unbelievably passionate fans deserve better. And there he was holding up his two season tickets. So after I saw this scoreline, I was like, I need to go and do a check on this guy and check if he's okay. So I went straight back onto his timeline and all he had done is retweet the picture with the quote, this was actually the easy part. And yeah, a lot of a lot of people were there like, mate, I've literally only come to your page right now to do a life check. Hope you're okay. Uh, some other people were like, well, good value for money, mate. Almost a goal for every hour in the queue. He's like, yeah, cheers, lads. Cheers, lads. But um, yeah, I had to point that out. Go and check out his timeline. Mm, absolutely. But yeah, lots of fun. And look, Atleti being up there and about, I think is good for everybody because this is a side that, and look, at the end of last, well, midway through last season, there was talk that Simeone might leave the club at the end of the window. There was talk that maybe his methods had, had failed. Now, obviously, we're very early on in the season, but I think the back half of last year and the fact that they've been able to open up and score big score lines, you know, and numerous times at the back end of last year, now again in the opening couple of weeks of this season. 
there's plenty to like. Uh, and I would urge that if people are have, have an idea of what Atleti play like, it's actually maybe not quite as true as, as you might mm. imagine, especially in games where they are the favourite. And to win 7-0 away at Vallecas is is quite something in any given season. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, it was a very, very impressive performance. I was going to talk about Milan here. I was I was all set to talk about Milan. And then I watched that game last night and was like, nope, I'm afraid I'm going to be changing tack. But I'm sure that Milan will get their flowers in the next couple of weeks. With that, I think it's probably time for us to pause on our first segment and start getting into the meat of this episode. All things Deadline Day. We'll be back after the break. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back to Ranks FC. It's time for our main segment. It's time to talk the big deals going into the final few days of this transfer window. And I'm delighted to say I can just hand over to the man for the big occasion, our transfer guru, Mr. Dean Jones. Yeah, no hospital trip for me this week. No diagnosis to be made. Uh, people seem to love that episode last week, by the way, where we were we were going through that. I I, uh, I got quite a few messages from people saying that was very funny. Uh, give us more of that. Uh, today I am in a supermarket shopping for footballers, but I'm not going to go down there. I'm not going to have a narrative attached to it. But we are <laughs> looking at some of the big deals that you can get before Friday's deadline. Um I'm going to actually start with the biggest potential transfer that we could see. And it has to be the Mo Salah one. Now, let's just begin by saying that, okay, Liverpool's stance already is no interest in this, go away. There hasn't been a bid yet from anyone in Saudi, but they're like, don't want to hear about it, go away, Mo Salah's not leaving. The Saudis, well, they're cheekily sat 4,000 miles away with a little grin on their faces and a big pile of money ready to wave towards the Egyptian king. So, look, this has been a scary time for Liverpool the, the past week. Salah isn't in peak form, but he is still their superstar. That new contract commitment should have been enough for them to have a bit of a more relaxing season so far than they've had. But if Al Ittihad follow through with the threats of a bid, we could see them putting something like £130 million on the table here. What's even scarier for Liverpool is that it doesn't have to be this week. The Saudi deadline is almost three weeks later. Now, that would give Liverpool no time to replace Mo Salah. I don't think it would ha- will happen that way because I don't think actually Salah would do that to them. That would be doing them dirty if he was to walk out at a time when they had no time to replace him. No matter how much money was being thrown at him, that is unforgivable. So don't do that, Mo. But he's had his head turned already. And knowing that the Saudis are disrupting football like no one's ever disrupted football before, look, I'm still half expecting this offer to actually land this week and just to see what might happen. So I just want to prepare us for that moment in case it arrives. A lot of the deals that I'm going to talk about here today are more expectant of happening, but this one, oh, it's just the possibility of having it is enough. Um, if they were to actually front this bid, then I'm told it's going to be about £90 million up front. Now, that's a really fair fee, actually, for a 31-year-old seller. Um, I'd say some Liverpool fans might argue you can't put a price on my seller. Fair enough. But what do... Al Hitty had want from this deal. Why do they want Mo Salah? Well, first and foremost, they want 
one of the biggest stars they could have in the continent. They want a poster boy to sit there alongside Neymar, Ronaldo, sell loads of shirts and for Salah to earn something like almost £200 million a year or something absurd. So there's that. Also, Al Itihad are in the Club World Cup that takes place in December and they really, really want to make a splash in that competition. Now, this is a team that Fabinho already joined from Liverpool. They also have N'Golo Kante, and they have Benzema, for now at least, and they have Jota, for now at least. Um, So they're going into this competition. They're looking to really try and, if they can, win it. They'll be up against Man City, Al-Ali, Lyon, Auckland City, Urawa Red Diamonds. There's also one more team to be confirmed from the Copa Libertadores. Um... So when you said Leon there, I was like, hang on, why are Leon in the Club World Cup? L E O N. Club L E O N. Club Leon. Um and yeah, so it's mind blowing that Salah could leave Liverpool at this moment in the season. But it could happen. And if it does, I'm gonna join this into number two. Because it leaves Liverpool obviously scrambling to find a replacement. You can't not replace Mo Salah. Anyone that listened to the Patreon has heard a little bit of this already, and I'm going to give Jack his take in a second. But at two, the second player to discuss ahead of deadline day is João Felix. You were just addressing Atleti's big win, which I think was nice build up towards this moment. João Felix doesn't even get off the bench in that 7-0 win at Rayo. And... This is an option that is on the very top shelf for someone to come and snap up in the final days of the Sunday. It's not very often you get an attacking talent as good as Xiao Felix that is actually readily available for sale. Xiao Felix loved playing in the Premier League. He wasn't even part of a very good team at the time. Chelsea actually don't want him back right now, even though they are looking at um, number 10s and creators. So Liverpool really seems like the only destination he could land at in the Premier League. He's been linked with Benfica and Barcelona and Al-Hilal. But yeah, if he's to come to England, it looks like Liverpool is the most likely option for him. Probably around €70 million is the price being guided right now. So this is has some potential. I'm not necessarily saying it's going to happen. And Jack, you actually mentioned on Patreon on Monday uh, that you didn't really like this replacement fit. Um, and I know there are options that you do prefer if they had to turn to somebody else. Yeah, I, I just wonder if they're looking for different options on that right-hand side, if Joao Felix is the, is the one. He's obviously a wonderful player and regular listeners will know how much I love Joao Felix. But if I was replacing Mohamed Salah, I 100% wouldn't be going for Felix right now, I don't think. Now, I could be wrong. And and there could be plenty of, of things that you look at and go, how do you do that and make it make it work? But the problem is that right wingers are really hard to find. And I'm not 100% sure that Felix is a winger in the natural sense of the word. Now, there was a lot of talk a couple of years back about the way that Sadio Mane and Mohamed Salah operated for Liverpool, especially off Roberto Firmino, where they would be kind of inside forwards. And I do think that there's more to that and more to a Joao Felix kind of replacement. But the way that Liverpool operate these days seems to have a little bit more emphasis on having a player on that right-hand channel. And with Trent inverting in from right back, as we've seen at the moment, then actually it doesn't offer you all of that much from that wide position if you have someone drifting constantly 
off that wing. I think that Felix is, is probably best as kind of a second striker. And actually the Barcelona fit, I like a little bit more for him because the way that Xavi sets up his system with the three midfielders and then often Gavi on that left-hand side allows the player on the right to have a little bit more freedom to kind of do what they want. And I think that Joao Cancelo going to Barcelona will only make that further the case in terms of you want Cancelo to, to get down that right-hand side and, and get into those positions where he was actually quite useful for Bayern Munich in spells. Whereas I think you see a Rafinha, for example, someone who comes in onto that left foot, tries to make things happen, Ferran Torres, who's sort of reinvented himself and I'm kind of here for it, coming in off that side as, as kind of a second striker. I think there's more of a fit there for Felix at Barcelona. Mm. Now, whether they do that, whether Xavi wants him or not, all different questions. But if you're going to bring in a you know a player to, to replace... Mohamed Salah, I wonder if you go and throw a fair bit of money at maybe like someone like Serge Nabry, Leroy Sane, mm. those kind of players who might just have a little bit more of that kind of wing says The one that I would be really intrigued by, and I know that he's played a lot on the left, but actually I think he'd be a very, very interesting fit on the right for Liverpool, is Fede Chiesa, who's sort of, well, he was, he was linked with a move away from Juventus a lot this summer. And I find it intriguing to see if, if that would be something that Liverpool would go in for. We've, we've heard them linked before. They would have probably, if this had happened early in the summer, gone in for that conversation with Moussa Diaby, who's obviously started really well at, at Aston Villa. So, yeah, there's some, there's some interesting options, but I'm, I'm not 100% convinced by Felix at Liverpool. I think that there are questions, you know, Xavi has been the one questioning his work rate defensively. I don't think that's as much of a problem for Barcelona, considering what we were talking about just a minute ago. I think that is a problem for Liverpool because of something that Salah does add. He has that ability to get back, to track, to make things happen. And I just wonder if, if that's not necessarily the obvious the obvious fit if, if I was going to be Liverpool. Um, but I am intrigued by this Salah move because there's obviously this kind of dichotomy that Mohamed Salah is probably the most famous player in the Arab world, right? But there's also this kind of question mark over one of the things that Egypt seems to love Mohamed Salah being part of things at Liverpool and being a Premier League player and being a star. And I think that, you know, we've seen some really interesting things come out of this. And I was reading a report the other day on, on the National News and it was talking about the fact that there's a couple of Facebook accounts dedicated to Mohamed Salah. One of the quotes when it was, those who have gone to the Saudi league don't mean to their countries what you mean to Egyptians. You're a footballer who gives country, children in our country a dream that's not impossible to realise. There's also that kind of rivalry, I suppose, between Saudi Arabia and, and Egypt. And that's been, football's been a big thing of that. And the fact that for a long, long time, the Arab world's the biggest derby was Al-Ali and Al-Zamalek in Egypt. They are huge clubs with a massive, massive followings. Egyptian football has kind of been supreme in many ways and I think that what we're seeing now in these rivalries between the likes of Al-Halal, Al-Nasser, Al-Itihad will come into this conversation that they might supersede that derby and that would be something that would maybe be a you know not an issue but you know something that wouldn't be received brilliantly in Egypt so there's, mm. there's lots of kind of different sort of I suppose soft diplomacy things going on in the background yeah. and that's what I'm really intrigued by at this point because there's plenty to kind of look at beyond what Salah would bring on the pitch. Yeah. And so as a kind of way to bring these thing, two things together as well, I think like if the Salah thing doesn't come through to anything by the end of our deadline uh, day this week, then 
I think it, it wouldn't surprise me at all if Zhao Felix ended up in Saudi Arabia instead. Zhao is on the lookout for a new club. He's definitely... But he's already turned run. this down once, hasn't he? Yeah, but he's not going to have any options beyond Friday. And suddenly he's going to have to consider going to Saudi Arabia once we've... Like, that, that is the thing about all this. And also you could kind of put that in a different light when you're explaining why you went. Like, I was open to other options. Nothing came. I've got to be playing football. Had to go to Saudi Arabia. I just never believe footballers when they say, yeah, I won't be doing that because most of them lie. <laughs> um, and it's hard. It, look, it's hard to turn down the export money. I get it. But I don't think it's Zhao Felix's intention to end up there. I can just see a scenario whereby, say, Al had don't sign Salah. And they're like, well, we could just go and get Zhao Felix for a year. Just throw it out there. Just throw it out there. Yeah. See as we're proving deadline day. Also, uh, or on the Saudi topic, um, Joe Gomez of Liverpool also uh, being rumoured right now to be on their wanted list, which is very, very random. That is very random. Double deal. <laughs> yeah, yeah, imagine that. Right, let's move on because um, I've got a couple of London clubs um, entwined that I want to talk about as case number three. It's Arsenal that I want to begin talking about because it's a couple of their players that are under threat as we head into deadline day. Now, I'll start with the good news for Arsenal fans, which is around Gabriel. I imagine most Arsenal fans don't want to lose Gabriel anyway. Um, it's been a very weird start to the season, seeing him out of the team week after week and just waiting for him to slot back in. And it hasn't happened so far. Um, but... It's double-edged, really, the the reasoning for it. One, yes, tactical. Two, though, is going back to the old Saudi issue. He had his head turned by interest from Saudi Arabia. Now, Arsenal are saying um, to anyone who asks the question, Gabriel will not be leaving this summer. We cannot replace him in time. So that's actually quite interesting, actually, because it's not that like they can't comprehend a future without Gabriel, it's just like the timing of this is terrible. We can't lose him right now. That's if that's a kind of a different um, a different stance to take. But for Arsenal, it is unthinkable that they could let a defender leave right now. We've already seen that um, they started to pick up problems. They're also creating their own problems with Mikel Arteta and his his formations. So I don't think they should be losing Gabriel, and I think he might even start the game uh, at the weekend. But. A really interesting one has been this Emil Smith-Rowe story. Now, Chelsea being linked with Emil Smith-Rowe is wild. I mean, from an Arsenal point of view again, I'd say this one is probably even more unthinkable than Gabriel leaving to Chelsea. Like for Emil Smith-Rowe, this like young product of Arsenal to end up playing for Chelsea at like 23 years old, that can't happen. Um, they're trying to make it happen. I'm told that Chelsea have indeed actually lodged this inquiry now to see whether it can be done. Arsenal not really even giving an answer to this at the moment, but I'm fully expectant that they will say no because I think it would be ridiculous to even consider that. Now, Smithrow isn't the only player that Chelsea are looking at, and that's why I'm kind of entwining these two things. Chelsea are looking at about 105 people at the moment. Um, 
there are loads of links for Chelsea out there right now, which I'm sure uh, you've all been keeping tabs on. There's been uh, Cherky, there's been Marcus Edwards, that was a bit of a strange one. Uh, Ferran Torres has been linked, Nico Williams has been linked. The one I kind of think we could look out for going into deadline day might be Rafinha. Now, Rafinha has always been one of those names that has cropped up during this transfer window, but then been shot back down again, saying, no, he's staying, not going anywhere this summer. But Chelsea do like him. They are looking for a player of his type. And while we try to figure out which of these 105 attacking players Chelsea are going to go for, I am wondering whether they could get Rafinha out there and actually, in turn, if it helps Barcelona, actually fill the other gap that would open up in their team. So what do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, it all goes back. These all feel interlinked, which is wild. And I'm, I'm quite yeah. enjoying myself, the fact that it's all it's all sort of mixed together. It's not a coincidence. No, of course. And, and I, you know, we've seen Barcelona struggling with financial levers. You know, as we spoke last night, it felt like that Cancelo deal was pretty much done. Then first thing this morning, I woke up to news that they'd have to cancel his flight because they couldn't get him there and, and get the documents signed yesterday. They were waiting for money to drop from a German source before they could make sure that that deal went through. It was... It was all a bit chaotic. And so this is the thing that obviously Barcelona are doing a lot of work with George Mensch. And part of that is that Cancelo, you know, they want Cancelo. Xavi has been desperate to get him through the door as as a kind of natural right back option so that he can start to mix things up, probably play Araujo and and Kunde together as centre back, just be able to, you know, get what he wants out of this back four. Fine. All of that's grand. But at the same time, George Mensch is desperate to get Joao Felix out of Atleti. And so you kind of start to look at it and start to consider it. And then you go, okay, how does that work? If Barcelona basically don't have the money to sign Cancelo on loan, how on earth would they be able to front a deal for, for, for Felix out of Atleti, who probably don't really want to sell to a rival either? Jean Laporte is trying to deal with this and also have to deal with the fact that he needs to keep managed on side for other deals to go through, etc. And so he's trying to find a way of making that happen. And yet then... If Chelsea come in for Rafinha, maybe that opens the spot up. But I would imagine that if I was Xavi, I wouldn't want to be losing Rafinha right now, especially when Xavi seems so unconvinced about Felix's ability to slot into this side. Mm, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that was exactly the answer I was hoping you would give um, because there does seem to be a knock-in effect of all of that. And that's kind of what we get when we get towards a deadline day. All these pieces do somehow end up falling together and meaning teams turn to each other to kind of rescue themselves. Half the time it's a waste of time because the players either don't reach the um, capabilities you're expecting of. If you'd have just kept the player you had in the first place, they'd have probably been totally fine. A lot of the deals that we see in the next few days aren't that needed, but that's just where we are at this moment in the transfer window. Just Um, before you move on, how do you feel about the Smith-Rowe deal? Because... I can't see... I really like Emil Smith-Rowe. I think he's a lovely footballer. And I thought that actually what was really interesting was watching him in that under-21 Euros, playing in the role that Arteta seems to have earmarked for for Kai Havertz. And actually, he was brilliant there. I really, really was impressed with with how he performed. But I'm not sure if I was Chelsea, I'd be going, right, that's what I really need in this side. And what kind of message is that sending to Conor Gallagher, who's actually been brilliant under Pochettino so far, apart from in that one game, one half, where he played as the six... Generally, I've been really impressed with Gallagher and you know that I'm not completely and utterly sold on him being a, you know, an elite player at a top club. 
Yeah, I haven't mentioned Conor Gallagher today, but he's obviously a player that you should also look out for in the next couple of days actually leaving Chelsea. What I think is interesting is that Chelsea have actually been the ones that have created a problem for Emil Smith-Rowe at Arsenal because the role that Kai Havertz has been playing so far at Arsenal, I actually think Emil Smith-Rowe would have carried out much better. I think that he would have been a better fit for that that role that they've been looking for for Kai Havertz and um, breaking out of midfield and like looking to get in there. And when you think back to last season and Arteta was talking about, well, people were telling how Arteta had been trying to mould um, Emil Smith-Rowe for a new position. You're thinking, well, now what happens for him? Because like he's, his pathway has got another obstacle in the way. And it's like now... Chelsea have sent Kai Havertz in that direction to cause some confusion. And now they're like, right, now we're going to get the man who's actually a bit better at playing this role, Emil Smith-Rowe, and he fits in better with our profile. And, um, but it's interesting so- that, that Arteta turned to Fabio Vieira that we can look at. And again, people know how much I love Fabio Vieira. I think he's a wonderful footballer and I thought he was brilliant. And one of the players that actually turned that match on its head for a while for Arsenal really did get things going. But equally, when... Arteta is turning to Vieira ahead of Smith-Rowe. He starts to think, well, what am I fourth in the pecking order now for a spot? And that's not a great place to be as a young star who took the 10 shirt, who wanted to, you know, to have the club's hopes and dreams resting on the shoulders. And you can look at the paths because that same summer, Saka took the seven, Smith-Rowe took the 10. And it was like, this is the pillars on which Arsenal are going to build their future. And the difference between how the two of them are perceived within the Premier League right now is very stark. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's it's very strange, as you say, especially taking that shirt number, that this is where we're at. Now, should probably clarify, as we're, as we're talking right now, like there is no indication from Arsenal on what their stance is here, but their stance before now has been that, no, they wouldn't be interested in selling him. So I'm assuming and people that cover Arsenal are assuming the same that I've spoken to today that they won't even consider this this and they they can't they really can't consider doing a deal like that um for the next player I am gonna hang around the Chelsea subject um this one would be well be like playground for Twitter or X as it now is uh Mark Cucurella to Manchester United. Um, Man United are desperate right now. This is this is bad. Uh, Luke Shaw suffering an injury setback. That means they are suddenly shopping in a position that they have not planned for all summer. Uh, it's probably the only position, really, that I haven't seen them going into deep detail on uh, actually identifying targets. So here we are, a few days out from deadline, and that's exactly what they're doing. They haven't solved the midfield problem. They haven't solved the striker problem. And here they are signing a left back. I think that for Chelsea, the idea of Cucurella going to Man United on loan even is fantastic. I think Chelsea would welcome anybody taking him off their off their books at the moment, stop paying his wages, um, see if he can go somewhere, build himself up for a year and hopefully sell him at the end of the season. Um, Cucurella, um, I just got a text saying, yeah, Cucurella's very... Very open-minded about the idea of this move. If it can come through, um, you know, lifts it. What did they say? Something like lifts the profile of uh, the club he'll be playing at right now and gives him good opportunities to play European football. I was like, okay, whatever. Yes, Marco Carrera should be just open to anything right now because I don't feel like he's going to be playing that much football 
in the near future. I do want to remember, like, Kukurella was a good player at one point at Brighton, and, like, he can fit uh, into certain structures. I'm just not sure that having Kukurella in his recent state of mind is going to be a good thing for a Man United team that already are, seem very fragile. Um, you've got this problem with Harry Maguire and trying to offload him because... You know, basically, he's in a confidence crisis. I can't see that Cucurella is that much better off. So you're just putting a, a new problem in a new position as far as I'm concerned. Uh, but this is very real. This this interest is is something that we have to look out for. Certainly, United are going to try and sign a left back. There have been a few other options mooted. I even saw Ryan Bertrand's name mentioned earlier on today. Marcus Alonso reportedly has rejected an approach from Man United and the line that was attached to that information said he's not convinced by United's sporting project or the ability of their manager, Eric Ten Hag. So that was an interesting one. Wow. Tagliafico. You, you could just say no, man. You, you could just say, say no, no. yeah. <laughs> uh, Tagliafico is an interesting one that's being linked and I quite like that. Um, because what I'm concerned about too with Cucurella is well, what happens when Luke Shaw's fit again? Like what's what's his scope oh, there? And Tyrell Malassia, right? That, that's the Malassia, one thing that yeah. has to be Malassia is two, three weeks off returning. The the kind of hope is the end of the international break. We were pretty comfortable with the fact that United was stuck in you know pretty good place with, with two left-backs there that they could fill in. Now, obviously, Shaw has played at times at centre-back for Manchester United over the last couple of months I suppose but yeah I'm not sure that if I was especially if I was a player who was a first choice left back somewhere now Cougar is a little bit different in that he clearly isn't first choice left back he might not even be second choice left back at this point although Lewis Hall's departure probably helps a little bit and that said I still think that yeah Martson has, has staked a really impressive claim over the course of pre-season so he might not even be second choice left back. He gets a chance to reset his career somewhere where he's not kind of universally been the scapegoat for a really, really bad season at Chelsea last year. So there's lots of things in, in you know regarding that where it, it, it's been tough. And, and obviously sometimes a new start helps. But I, I think if you're having a new start, moving to Manchester United, which is arguably the most watched club in the Premier League, is maybe not the place I'd be looking to just go a little bit under the radar for a little while. Yeah, yeah. I mean that that that's fair. Um, and the Malassia point has to be considered here. Like he's he's actually a, a very decent player, um, but can he play that role long term? I guess that would be the question. But Tagliafico is somebody obviously that Ten Hag knows well um, from Ajax, and yeah. I think that if that was to be a loan deal, I could see a lot of sense in it. Um, we've seen Leon before, won't want that. Why would Leon? Why would Leon loan out Tagliafico? to Manchester United when they know that the Premier League has more money than pretty much anywhere else bar Saudi Arabia in, in the world. I think that if you're going to Leon and they go, right, put up a fee and we'll do it, fine, because Leon have cover there. But I don't see why they would sanction a loan. No, it wouldn't. It wouldn't help Leon at all. You're right. But from um, United's point of view, I think that that's their starting point because they don't want to be buying anyone here necessarily. So I think that they, they are, they're probably searching him out because he is a player that is um, known already to the manager and his style of play would fit. But um, yeah, Chelsea obviously having a bit of a clear out or at least trying to at the moment. They finally got Lukaku off the books, which is a big win in their eyes. Um, and a couple more to go. Trevor Chalaber. Um, closing in as we speak on a move to Bayern Munich. Um, 
pretty sensational that one there of, of Thomas Tuchel to, to come shopping. Tuchel's trying trying a few at the moment. Obviously, he went for he went for Declan Rice. He's got Harry Kane. He's going for Scott McTominay, and he's going for Trevor Chalobah. I'm not sure what he was seeing when he was over here in the Premier League, but um, he certainly identified a few talents that I wouldn't have expected him to be looking to take back to a Bundesliga when he went. But um, yeah, so they're, they're looking to do that. And as you said earlier, Conor Gallagher won to look out for as well. Um, Just Chelsea. on the Manchester United left-back point before you move on, I think that the wild card here is obviously Alvaro Fernandez, who is a 20-year-old that Manchester United signed from Real Madrid back when he was 17, I believe. Um, last year, he went on loan to Preston North End in the Championship. He made 42 appearances, I think, um, for them. He was very, very good. I watched him in a couple of games. He was outstanding in their game against West Brom. I remember watching last year. And I think that over the course of the season, he picked up you know, six, seven assists. He, he was very, very impressive. He was trusted, despite being you know 19 when he made that move. And he's there sort of going, I want to take this opportunity. And he's you know spoken to the press or people associated with him have spoken to the press saying, I see this as an opportunity. Manchester United are thinking about loaning him out. I think considering we're talking about covering potentially just a four-week spell here before Malassia comes back in, it all seems a bit weird unless they are desperate for Alvaro Fernandes to go out and get another 38 games on loan under his belt. Mm, yeah, that's true. That's true. Um You'd have liked to have thought that United were better prepared than this, that they could have, have had internal options. I, I agree. So, um, And it also does take them away from what their main objective should be at this point of the transfer window, which is that Amrabat-shaped hole or whatever you want to call it at this moment in time. I mean, Amrabat, he's been rumoured to be joining Man United for three months and here we are three days away from the deadline and still no bid arrives and really, really leaves him in a, tricky position going into these last couple of days like he's clearly been told that by his advisors or whoever that the bid is coming and that he can afford to act in this way at Fiorentina and kind of ostracize himself but he now must be like well what happens if they don't bid what what's going to happen where are we going to turn and um you know if United do suddenly decide to go and, and find again a a low-priced option for the for the midfield, even lower priced than Amrabat, then he could be stuck. And obviously, they've still got Hoyland to to come into this team, but I still think they're going to be short on goals. Martial is back fit again, but for how long we don't know. Um, I just want to say while we're in this section, let's keep an eye on Jaden Sancho. I every year you'll get someone kind of sneak up as somebody that's poached on deadline day pretty unexpectedly. And I feel like Sancho fits the bill on that. There's been a few clubs linked throughout the summer. And with Sancho not fitting into this Man United team, low on confidence, not in form, it wouldn't surprise me if someone put forward a proposal for Jaden Sancho on deadline day just to try and tempt something into happening. So... um not loads of information around that one, to be honest with you, uh, but it's just something that I'm wary of going towards transfer deadline day. Okay, yeah. It's worth, worth keeping an eye on, I think, definitely. And it's interesting. It's really weird because obviously I watched Fiorentina at the weekend. They went 2-0 up at home against Lecce and then they were dragged back, pegged back to draw two all. Two very impressive results for Lecce, actually, away at Fiorentina getting a point and beating Lazio at home on the first day of the season. They've had a good start to the year. But... The moment you could just see that the second half was crying out for someone of Amrabat's calm. 
And, and Fiorentina haven't quite got there yet without him. And so I do mm. think that if he was to end up not moving anywhere, he would be reintegrated into this setup because he's yeah. too good a player not to have in there. But equally, it's it's obviously not a great vibe from anyone involved to have, have been throwing toys out of the pram in this kind of manner. Yeah, absolutely that. Um, right, let's go over to Tottenham Hotspur, who... Mm have got some Harry Kane money to spend and they are zoning in on Brennan Johnson right now. Um, now, it seems like this has come out of left field because Brennan Johnson has been linked with a move for Brentford for most of this summer. Um, that was never going to happen. Nottingham Forest were never going to agree to sell him to Brentford because they consider them to be a rival. And from what I'm told, Brennan Johnson's actually been okay with that because, you know, his ambition hasn't really to elevate himself at a club like Brentford. If he was going to leave, then it was going to be a leave leaving for, for a big club. And, and Tottenham actually have had this player profiled uh, and scouted for quite some time. So this isn't out of the blue. Uh, Johnson is a very versatile player, a, ver a versatile attacker that will suit what Ange is looking for. He is completely on board with this pursuit, uh, was from the moment he came through the door. Uh, Brennan Johnson can play, I think, mainly on the right, but also can go through the middle. Um, has a decent scoring record as well with Forrest. Now, are they going to are they going to manage to get more than fifty million pounds out of Tottenham for this player? That's what I've been most sceptical of um, while this rumour has been building over the past week because I've just never convinced that Tottenham are going to um, really push for a player of that level at that amount of money. But they are. Right now, they are actually going for it. Chelsea have also been linked, but there's been nothing concrete come of that so far. So at the moment, Tottenham are getting a free run at Brennan Johnson, who's very eager to get for this to happen. I mean, can you imagine being a player of his type, watching Ange's first few games as Tottenham yeah. manager and then knowing that you might be becoming part of that? I mean, it, you, your mouth would be watering at the thought of it, wouldn't it? So this actually, it might actually go down to deadline day. I should point that out. Um, Tottenham not got a great record for getting deals done quickly. And there is one is quite complicated. So I don't think this is going to be imminent. So this might actually be a deadline day preview one. But... Yeah, Brennan Johnson, really good player who Tottenham are hoping can add to their attack. Yeah, I mean, I like it a lot and it does feel like it fits Andrew's system. It gives them options in those attacking areas. It gives them different, you know, a player who's very versatile. We've seen him play in a front two for Nottingham Forest, but we've equally seen him play wide for Wales. We've seen a variety of different things from Brennan Johnson and I'm still not completely and utterly convinced where as to where he plays. I'm not sure what his best position yeah. is yet. And I think that the fact that he's still snatching at chances a little bit means that he's not necessarily quite a number nine for me. And I wonder if that's something that will be just playing on Tottenham's mind and that they don't have a multitude of options at number nine right now and they have more options in those wide spots. But, you know, we've seen Richarlison play wide. I wonder if that's something that Andrew would be considering. We've seen differing situations where Tottenham have been able to rotate I like it as a move and I think that Brennan Johnson's excellent, but I'm just just a little bit wary that if Tottenham are going to spend the vast majority of the Harry Kane money on Brennan Johnson, are they going to leave themselves slightly short at number nine? 
Yeah, so what they'll do at nine is it's going to be rotated uh, between Richarlison and Son. Uh, that was my information last week, was that uh, Richarlison will continue as the nine and that the alternate plan will be for Son to play through the middle. So um, obviously they are still, uh, there's been the gift Urban links. So um, I haven't checked that one out today. So I, I can't give an up to the, up to the minute update on that one. Um, there have been obstacles with it. But last week they were pretty confident of it, so that's that's probably been quite frustrating. So if they are to bring in somebody, it's not going to be like an elite striker. It's going to be somebody that's emerging as a striker. So it might be like a rotator. But yeah, in the short term, I would expect Richarlison to continue um, playing up front for Tottenham. Yeah, yeah, interesting. I mean, like, there's been a, obviously loads of clubs. Like, Brentford will be sick as dogs about this this transfer because obviously you look back at that thing that happened. What was it? 2022, I think, start of January, and Brentford had submitted that bid. I think it was around 20 million pounds. They'd booked in a medical for the next day, and then in in front of all of it, it just all fixed, and it was like, right, okay, cool. When we're not doing it, and they they called off. Called off this deal for Johnson. He won Championship Young Player of the Year and Forrest were promoted to the Premier League. And now suddenly we're looking at, you know, a, a deal that's worth double that, maybe maybe even more, maybe 2.5 times it. It's, it's pretty nuts that mm. these things happen on, you know, the flip of a coin. And if they get usurped by, by Tottenham at this kind of value, they'll be looking back at that. It's only 18 months ago. And suddenly it's like, oh, wow, Brendan Johnson came to the Premier League, scored double figures in his first season, is a fully-fledged Wales international. There's so much to kind of like about what he has as a potential. It must, mm. be, it must be a frustrating one for Matthew Benham and Phil Giles, is all I'll say. Yeah, absolutely agree. Um, I'll tell you what, I'm just going to wrap this up by mentioning a few names that are also looking at deals ahead of deadline day. Uh, Tengai and Dombele won't be a Tottenham player beyond the end of this transfer window. I tell you what, it's really hard to read a Dombele because you look at him and you think, okay, basically one of the best midfield players in the world on his day, but he's also one of the biggest flops the Premier League's ever seen. So uh, read of that one what you like, but Ndombele, um yeah, Tottenham have been seeking buyers basically for the past couple of weeks. It's up to his advisors to actually try and find him a new club. Tottenham made it pretty clear that um, he hasn't got a future uh, there. So Ndombele will be heading out of Tottenham before deadline. Mateus Nunes has basically gone on strike at Wolves to force his move through to Manchester City. Um, so sorry about that, Wolves fans. That's not a nice way for that one to end. Hopefully you get the money in in time to actually spend some of it because you're going to need it. Uh, Clement Longley to Aston Villa has potential as we're speaking right now. They're looking for one more defensive reinforcement and he is seen as a good fit for the way uh, that they are planning to play. Obviously, Ming's out injured at the moment. Uh, Villa rotating between a back four and a back three at the moment. Not sure exactly which way that will end up long term, but Longley able to slot into that defence either way. So that's handy. Um, and West Ham are close to signing 
a Brazilian forward from Corinthians. His name is Yuri Alberto. Um, I know absolutely nothing about him beyond that. Uh, I am told that West Ham are quite excited about him, though. He's 22 years old, and they've been looking at him for quite some time. They've actually really had their eye on that that South American market this summer. And I I don't think he's the only deal they're looking to do over there right now either. But, um, yeah, Yuri Alberto to West Ham. Watch this space. Mm, exciting one. It's always exciting when someone comes in kind of cold, right? Like they, we we talk about this and we talked about it that sometimes you get it in in World Cups and stuff. Someone comes out of nowhere, uh, and I think that this will be one for for many football fans as well. Twenty two yeah. years old, as you say, and it, it looks like Tim Steichen is is basically just flying around the globe at the moment. He went to pick up Mohamed Kudus. <laughs> he went to pick up Mavropanos. He's now apparently wandering around. In Brazil, so all, is, all, yeah. all sorts of things. He's having, he's having quite the time uh, of it. By, by what a himself. job! Do you think it's really interesting? I just want to kind of touch quickly on on some free agents because there's a load of free agents that basically are are just available at the moment. Now it looks like Eden Hazard's going to retire because he's turned down approaches, I believe, from from Marseille, from from Lille, and from one more French club. And basically been like, I don't want to play anymore. And apparently he's like, friends and family are trying to be like, no, mate, you're okay. Like, it's going to be all right. But the likes of De Gea, Sergio Ramos, all available at the moment, then haven't got anywhere. Alfredo Morelos, I am absolutely stunned that no one has come in for. Um, now, I think that Morelos has plenty of red flags around him. The fact that he is a walking yellow card and often a walking red card is not great. But the fact that so many people need a number nine and his goal scoring record has been impressive. I am stunned that nobody has, has, has looked to pick him up at, yeah. at this point. There's a few more, obviously. Roberto Pereira at Udinese, who I think is a really, really good footballer. Um, but yeah, there's some there's some interesting names on this free agent list. Yeah, there is. Yeah. And obviously, like, so those guys can still be picked up after the deadline window, the deadline day window closes. So, um, yeah, that'll be a fallback option. Like you say, people like Morelos will be turned to no doubt about it, um, even beyond Friday, um, because there will be teams in need of a player like that. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely right. Well, I think we'll leave it there for the main segment. And after the break, we've got a very special hot take. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back to Ranks FC and we have a final segment for you today where I wanted to include this hot take. Basically, I thought this episode was going to be a little bit long. So I decided that we probably wouldn't put in too many. But we got this from Valentin, who is a loyal and keen member of our patron. He brings up a lot of our Bundesliga questions on our Monday post box. And he submitted this hot take at the back end of last week. Now, I've got to stress that he did so before Jamal Musiala got injured. Um, But I wanted just to let you all know and to have a little bit of a discussion around this one. So without further ado, here's Valentin. Bayer Leverkusen have got many people excited, me included, especially their attack. And I'm sure a key part of that will be 20-year-old midfielder Florian Wirtz. I can even see him getting more goal contributions in the league than Jamal Musiala. It's a big strike. It's a big take, but I am absolutely here for it. Now, regular listeners will know that I was absolutely over the moon about Florian Wirtz taking the number 10 shirt at Leverkusen. And Leverkusen have started the season 
like a train. They won 3-2 in the first week against RB Leipzig. And then they went to Gladbach and won 3-0 this weekend in the big Saturday night game in the Bundesliga. The most Bundesliga game there is, is Gladbach versus Leverkusen, just so we're all aware. But um, <laughs> yes, they are currently... Joint top of the Bundesliga, or their third, effectively, with six yeah. points um, behind Union Berlin and Bayern, but only on goal difference. And so far, so good. And so far, so good for Florian Wirz. Yeah, um, helped a little bit by Musiala being out at the moment, this this take. Uh, but I think that um, Wirz is unbelievable. Um, is he 20, Wirz? And he's, yeah. he's coming through at the same time. He's like... He, Probably expecting to have to live in Musiala's shadow in Bundesliga, but this is a massive opportunity to break out. It's going to be a fantastic to see like how these two do compare over um, the duration of a, of a season, uh, because what they're both capable of is absolutely ridiculous. Musiala has, I guess, more expectation upon him purely because he's at Bayern Munich. But if you think about Vitz and how long we've known about him and like the levels that he's been playing at forever, like he's always been pushing himself. Like you look, he's played at all the German age groups um, in terms of representing his country, uh, broke through early into first team football. Um, he's an absolute wizard, isn't he? I mean, it's, it's a really good take. Um, I'm glad you included it because it, this Valentin deserves his moment. Valentin is, is honestly like... For those on the Patreon that already know, uh, Valentin, there's nothing he doesn't know about Bundesliga, to be honest. And he comes on every week on the show on a Monday and he, he breaks down all the talking points from the weekend's game. So if you want your fix of Bundesliga, there is no better man to get the information from, I can assure you. Uh, you probably might listen to like Honigstein and people like that. You don't need him. You just need our very own Valentin on a Monday post box. So, so come along to Patreon and, and you'll get a bit of that. And you'll get probably throughout the season some more hot takes like this because he did have that Union Berlin one as well, didn't he, on on, on Monday's show. Um, he's he's a, a wealth of knowledge. Mm, absolutely. I mean, uh, the other thing I really like about this take is that I wonder just if Wirtz is just given more, not necessarily time, but more space to be the main man, the Musiala. Obviously, we've seen Harry Kane joined Bayern Munich. And one of the things we were not concerned, concerned is the wrong word, it suggests that there is worries about it. But the fact that Kane has started the season so well, we were kind of looking at this and going, how does it work with Kane dropping in in a different way to, you know, the way that he did against Spurs? How is that going to affect the likes of Musiala and Thomas Muller in terms of the way that they like to drift between the lines? Kane also likes to, to get into those spaces and make things happen. And we saw that assist for Leroy Sané on, on the first game where he drops in, flicks the ball around the corner and off Sané goes and, and he scores. And... I think when you're, when you're looking at it, I wonder what that does in terms of, I imagine that the link-up between Kane and Musiala will be wonderful, but does it just occupy the spaces that he wants to get in for assists and goals at times? And if mm. that is the case, how does then that translate into the rest of it? So that's maybe the reason that I think I'd probably verge towards agreeing with Valentin. I think that whilst Bayern might well use this and, and become dominant again in the league, I think Leverkusen are going to score a lot of goals. Uh, and I think the Wirtz is going to be central to so much of that that, yeah, I'm willing to back it. I'm willing to back this yeah. take. I reckon I reckon Wirtz ends the season with more goal contributions than Musiala. I'm going to go against it and say no chance he plays for Bayern Munich. 
<laughs> but then again, what else would we expect? <laughs> right, that. On that note, I think it's probably time for us to call it a day. We are going to be doing more hot takes throughout the season. So if you've got one that you want us to discuss, make sure you send it in. You can fire it to the Ranks FC Twitter account or X account. You can send it to the Ranks FC Instagram. We'll take a look through, we'll pick the best of them, and we'll discuss them on Wednesday's episodes every week throughout the season. But for now, all that's left for me to do is say thank you so much to our transfer guru, Mr. Dean Jones. Cheers, mate. I've been Jack Collins, Neighbor of Hearts. This has been Ranks FC. Thank you so much for listening as ever. We really do appreciate you. And we will see you later on this week when we're taking a little look back at that Champions League draw that takes place on Thursday. And then we'll see you at the start of next week looking back at all the madness that went down on deadline day as well. So thanks for listening and we'll see you very shortly. Have wonderful weekends. Take it easy, gang. Peace. Final seconds of the game. A chance to score and the chance has gone begging. If your business's commerce platform keeps missing the target on golden opportunities, Get the MVP you deserve. Get Shopify. <coughs> Shopify is the commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. Whether you're a garage entrepreneur or IPO ready, Shopify is the only tool that you need to start, run, and grow your business without the struggle. Shopify puts you in control of every sales channel. So whether you're selling signed football boots from Shopify's in-person POS system or you're vending vintage shirts on Shopify's all-in-one e-commerce platform, you are covered. And once you've reached your audience, Shopify has the internet's best converting checkout to help you turn them from browsers to buyers. What I love about Shopify is how, no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US. And Shopify's truly a global force, powering Allbirds, Rothies, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across over 170 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash ranks, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com forward slash ranks to take your business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash ranks.